At six foot three, you uh, don't like small spaces. You just don't. Um, tiny spaces, and I, I mean, whatever height you are, you may just not like tiny spaces either. But I do not like them, and I do not like dark, tiny spaces. So it only makes sense that you, you go as a high school senior with a bunch of other high schoolers to dark, tiny spaces. I don't even remember the name of the cave place we went, but I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I don't like caves. They're underground. It's dark. You shouldn't go there. There's no reason to go there. If you've ever seen a movie, you should know. You don't go into dark, tiny caves. And you never say, I'll be right back. You never say, I'll grab the flashlight. You, remember, you never say, I'll carry the rope. You never say statements like this. But as a senior in high school, I went caving with some friends who were like, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's so cool. But inside, like the little man inside of me is screaming and shouting and freaking out. And so we go caving and we're in this cave and we've got a guide, we've got our helmets, we've got our lights and all this different stuff. And she says to us, all right, so we're coming up on Fat Man Squeeze. I'm thinking, dude, I got this. I'm skin and bones, man. I'm going to be fine. And she's like, it's going to be a struggle for some of you because we're going to do it without light. Excuse me? Like, why? I got a helmet. I got lights. Why do we have to go through? She's like, it's, it's the experience. I'm like, I hate your experience. Trip, if TripAdvisor existed when we were doing this, I would have put zero stars. And I would have said, I hate the part where she told us to turn our lights off. That's dumb. We shouldn't have to do that. We should be able to keep our lights on because that's what we're underground. We should not have to turn lights off. So we get to what is called Fat Man Squeeze. And she says, all right. And there's about eight of us. And we're all idiots. Every single one of us. Not one of us is smart. Uh, we all turn our lights off, and then the joking begins, and then the ooing and the trying to scare everybody begins, and everybody's screaming and yelling and trying to scare everybody, and I'm just like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up! And, and the, 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 the lady who's leading us through, she says, everyone follow my voice. I'm like, I can't hear you over my idiot friends. Like, they're just goofing off. We're going to die in here because no one's listening. And you can't, I mean, it is so dark in the cave. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. Like, and I don't know if, I mean, my children don't like being in the dark. People don't like the dark. But this was the darkest I have ever seen it. Like, nothing, nothing in front of your face. And she's like, all right, so now everybody lay down. Lay down? For what? She's like, this is where we squeeze through. And I remember being able to feel the rock. See, rock doesn't give. You know that? Like, it do, it's not squishy. Like, it doesn't give. There's no room. Like, even if I tried to flex and make more, more room for myself, there was no, that rock's not moving. She's like, this is where you lay down. Lay down? <laughs> and so you're laying down. And we are like sprawling through this area. And I mean, you're feeling the rock touch the back of your head when your face is this close to the floor of the, gro- the rock. Like, I'm about to die. Like, I'm saying, Lord, this is where I die. Uh, this is it. Thankfully, I know you. It's cool. Uh, I'll see the light uh, uh, because I'm dead. And but we, we're crawling through, we're squeaking through, and like all my idiot friends have stopped talking now. <laughs> They're all really scared too. Like we are freaked out. 
And so we, I mean, she lets us do this forever. It feels like forever. And I don't, we probably moved like three feet. It really wasn't that long. And then she says, I'm going to turn my light on. I mean, I have never been so glad to see light in my whole life. Because I actually could see where we were going. She had us working through this space that really wasn't that big, but nobody knew what we were doing. Nobody knew how far to go. Nobody knew where to get to. And when she turned her light on and she said, just come towards me, every single one of us, like, you know, slithering through the crack to get to the light. And she's like, this is where the cliff was. And we were like, excuse me? She's like, I was going to turn my light on before we got there. Like, how did you know where it was? Like, how did you know there was a cliff there? I mean, yes, you may know how to feel your way, but there's a cliff and we don't like cliffs. And I don't like things that you could die with. And she was saying, here was where the cliff is. And it's a drop-off. It's a good drop-off. She was saying, we don't know how deep it is. I'm like, baloney, you know how deep this is, and whatever. But it was one of those moments where you recognize when light shows up and you are in need of it, you are thankful for it. Like, you start to appreciate the light showing up even if it is just the light of her helmet or the light that she had carrying, it was enough to get us through to know which direction to go, how to avoid the cliff, how to get out of the fat man's squeeze, which I do not recommend to anyone. I hate caving. I hate it. But it was one of those moments I've never forgotten how thankful I was because you could not see your hand in front of your face. And one of my most favorite elements of the Christmas story, and I know we've just passed it and we're about to head into 2018. One of my favorite declarations comes from John the Baptist's father just after he is unmuted and allowed to speak. And he makes these grand declarations about who John the Baptist will be, but Miss Sue read it and I just want to read it again. He says these words in Luke chapter 1, because of God's tender mercy, The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. What we understand from scripture is that there are two types of light. There is the light that God created in Genesis 1-3. There is the light, physical light. And because of that physical light, you and I can lay eyeballs on creation. If we did not have the sunlight, if we did not have real physical light, we would not be able to see the creation that God has created. And you know what happens when you see or lay eyes on creation? You begin to have questions and conversations about a creator. So that there is nece- it's a necessity for us to live, but it's also a way of God revealing who he is because creation declares God's glory. So physical light is a huge role, a huge element in the scripture. But there is a second type of light that is so crucial to God that he doesn't just throw us a map down from heaven. He doesn't just throw a paper airplane with directions on how to get to light. He breaks through time and space and puts on flesh if the incarnation is true and God comes and dwells among his people. He actually reveals to us light. 
and what it looks like. God is not okay with people remaining in darkness. This is because of God's great mercy he chose to reveal light. If it was up to us, we'd stay in darkness. We would choose to stay in darkness. But because God's not okay with people living in the shadow of death, he put it on himself to step into time, come close to the darkness. The darkness does not scare him because he is light and in him there is no darkness. Darkness flees when light shows up. In the scripture, we're we're taught that light can represent God's presence His protection, his salvation, his word is a lamp unto our path. God's revealing light when our eyes are open. We see sin, we see death, we see destruction, we see lies. All of these things are revealed because of God's tender mercy. He's not okay with people living in the darkness. There is no way to know God and not be in the light Jesus later affirms that he himself is the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Friends, this is a good news announcement, but it is also a stumbling block to many. It is why the Pharisees hated Jesus so. It is why philosophers and people today hate Jesus so. Because Jesus makes an exclusive claim here. He does not say, I am one of the lights. He does not say, I am a light. Or another light will come along. He makes the bold declaration that he is the light of the world and it will never change. This is a stumbling block for people who say, no, no. There are other lights. See, I don't like to throw Jesus in the good teacher category because a good teacher doesn't make declarations that he alone is the light of the world. A good teacher does not say that he is God. A good teacher does not say that he and the Father are one. A good teacher does not make claims that if you don't follow him, you will not have light. A good teacher is not what Jesus came to be came to be the light of the world and that those who would follow him would never have to walk in darkness again. You can see why it's a stumbling block to many because it's a foolish story, a foolish story that starts in a feeding trough. But it is the wisdom of God that is the power to save you and I. Christianity is firstly a rescue religion. It is not a you-can-rescue-yourself religion. There was an episode of, um, uh, with Andy Griffith and Barney and those guys. Uh, why can't I remember the name of the show? Huh? Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, whatever. Um, but there's an episode I remember seeing um, Andy and like his, his girl at the time, I think, where they were caving, they were, they were going through a cave, and like it collapses, like something collapses down on them, and like Barney freaks out. And if, I don't know if you've seen this episode. Barney freaks out, and he organizes the whole city. 
He organizes the whole city for this rescue mission. But Andy and his girlfriend, they found a back way out. They, like they found a back way out of the cave and they were at the back at their house, changed and cleaned up and everything like that. And they hear on the radio, you know, oh no, cave collapse. Barney's organized the whole city. Everybody's coming together to rescue these people. And so they feel really bad for Barney. And so they dirty themselves back up, go back in the cave. You, uh, you, know, you haven't seen this one? Okay. Uh, I, well, it, it's not like that for us. <laughs> I know there are some of you who are like, I'm going to find a back way out. There is no back way up. Christ is the rescuer. And as the light of the world, he reveals that we are in darkness and that is good for us to know. But Jesus didn't start with the announcement. Hey, I'm the light of the world. He didn't say it as an 18-year-old teenager. Hey, I'm the light of the world. No, you're not. You're a carpenter's son. Sit down. They didn't start with this. But I can guarantee you that as Jesus began his ministry, people began to think differently about who he was. When they heard his voice, they were hearing words they'd never heard before. I can tell you that as people heard him speak, things in them began to burn and wonder, is he different? As they were touched by his hands, there were ailments and physical things changing in them. And I can guarantee you they were beginning to go, this dude is not like everyone else. As he stepped into their village or their city and they began to feel comfort in a way that they didn't know was possible, their hearts began to burn he is not like everyone else. As he, as he spoke up and against the Pharisees, the people were going, this dude is showing these dudes that we thought were the smartest, that he's smarter. As he would do, make light work of demons that were not able to be handled by the Pharisees or the disciples, people were beginning to go, this dude is not like everyone else. He's different. And as Jesus began working all of these things to prove that he was who he said he was, people's hearts began to burn. I said, this, this is the Messiah. He's the one in the Old Testament that God promised would come and rescue. Jesus, when he was speaking to the religious leaders who were always giving him a hard time, in John 5, he says this, John was like a burning, shining lamp. He's talking about John the Baptist. And you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John. My teachings and my miracles, the Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. Jesus' statement about being the light of the world came at a very appropriate moment in history. Jesus stands up and makes this declaration at the tail end of the festival of shelters, the festival of tabernacles. If you read in the Old Testament, you see God's like, there's going to be this seven-day party that you're going to have. It's going to be such an awesome party that you're going to need to take a rest the day before it starts, and you're going to need to take a rest the day after. It is going to be that kind of party. It is going to be celebratory. It is going to be joy focused. And it's going to cause you to remember the time you went through the desert and had to live in tents. You had to dwell in tents. You had to build these things and live in them on the move. And it's going to be a time of celebration and joy. And the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. And you're going to remember how the Lord led you through the desert and you lived in tents. 
Now, see, the thing is, God doesn't waste any celebrations. I just want you to know that. Because in the Old Testament, Jesus' picture was being painted. And this feast or this festival of shelters and tents, literally the world, the word, when it says that the word dwelt among us, the word tented among us, God put on a tent, flesh, and dwelt among us. So everything God does in the Old Testament is not wasted. It is not for nothing. It is actually pointing to this big, grand rescue found in Jesus. But there's another element that the people added to this celebration later in the years that they would celebrate it. And it was the lighting of these gigantic candelabras. Like, not, not, I'm not just talking about like tiny menorahs that might sit. I'm talking about 75-foot lanterns. Four of them in the temple courts where both men and women could go. And this was a place where the offerings were given, dances of joy were made, but these candles were lit during this festival to remind the people that they were led by a pillar of fire at night. And these, these candles were, were, were supposedly big enough, when they were lit at night, it would light up the city. Like, this was unheard of. But it was a celebration and a reminder that God had led the people in the darkness by himself as a pillar of fire. This cloud at day, this fire at night, and that his presence was with them. Jesus stands up at this moment in history and says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness again. Jesus is making the declaration that I am the source of joy. There is no other joy. You know what? These candelabras, they're going to go out. They're going to go out. This celebration is going to end. There are going to be teachers. It's interesting because the, the Jewish rabbis and those that were very intelligent in the Jewish community, they were known as bright shining stars, bright, bright lights in the world. And Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. Look, those teachers that you look to, those philosophers that you're thinking about, those smart people that you're celebrating, they're like meteors. You know, you know how we like look up in the sky to see a meteor, right? And we're like, oh, where is it? Come on, come on, go. There, there it is. Oh, there it's gone. That feeling, you're like, oh, I wish that meteor lasted longer. Jesus is saying, I will never go out. These lights, they will pass. And these lights, they're all going to build on top of each other. Some of them are going to extinguish each other's lights. These lights are going to pass. This light and this theory and this concept, all of it's going to be discussed. I am the light of the world and that will never change. This is the statement of great news for people who know they are in darkness. This is a significant statement for us, for Israel. Israel knew that their lives had been darkened by sin, that their joy was being crushed, and that they were slaves. And they remembered those moments. Their families had told the stories of how they were led out of slavery by Moses and that God led them in the wilderness and that one day God was going to send a rescuer that would restore Israel's joy. Though every other light would go out, quickly passing, Jesus was saying, I will not go out. 
Jesus was saying of himself, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, these words written six to eight hundred years before Jesus walked on the earth. He said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Jesus is saying, I fulfilled this. This is me. I do not give Jesus room to just be a good teacher. He can't be a good teacher if he's saying these gigantic claims and they're not true. Jesus made outrageous claims. And if they're true, those who will follow him will never walk in darkness again. He is the light, not parts of the light, not a little bit of the light, but he is the light And this light will cause many to stumble. This light will cause many to stumble. To those who know they are sitting in darkness. And when when the scriptures speak of darkness, they speak of of sin, of evil, of, of wickedness, of ignorance, of not being able to see clearly, of not knowing what is true. And just like I couldn't have been more happy to see the stinking light on the top of that guide's helmet... For those who know they are in darkness, they rejoice at the sight of light. Because when we see the scriptures revealed, the light is revealed, the light of God shines, what we see dissolve is falsehood. For those that have been following and living according to lies, when Jesus reveals the light, that light shines and you're like, oh snap, I have been living my life built on a lie. Thank you God for revealing that. You can see why it's a stumbling block because there are people who would rather live by a lie because it's what they're used to or they're comfortable with rather than walking in the light that is revealed by Christ. When Jesus shines his light, ignorance is revealed. The things that I didn't know, he shines light. Now I know. There are things that because of Christ, he's revealed that I would have never been able to conclude on my own without his revealing. For people who sit in darkness and know it, the light is good news. Impurities, the things that I would be taking into my body or doing with my body that were impure, that were going to actually lead to a death, Jesus reveals and says, no, this is what purity looks like. This is what it means to live as a child of light. I would never have figured that out on my own. But you can see why this would also be a stumbling block. You can see why there would be those who would say, I am repulsed at the idea of light. Sorrow is revealed, but so is hope. When the light shines, our sorrow is revealed, but hope comes close Hope is expressed in Christ. And you know what? This side of eternity, things may be hard. And there may not be an end in sight until the other side. But the joy of those who sit in darkness, knowing that the light has shined on us in Christ, is that either this side or the next, God's promise will stand true. And you will never walk according to the power of sin or penalty of sin ever again. And death, death is revealed to be not the end, but the beginning. 
So many in this country fear death more than anything else. It's why we worship at the hospital and the doctors and the physicians are the new pastors. How can I extend my physical life? How can I make this body last forever? And the truth is this body will not last forever. And Christ has revealed that not even death can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. For those who know they are sitting in darkness, Christ has revealed a great light. But there is another group of people that Jesus addresses. In John chapter 3, verse 18, he explains himself. He says, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, speaking of himself. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. If Jesus is saying this, it's time to pay attention. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God's, God wants. There is another group Jesus addresses, and we all find our start in that group. Every single one of us finds our start in loving the darkness. Loving the darkness. Not, not just kind of okay with it, or not just kind of unaware of the light. No, we love the darkness, because in the darkness, things stay hidden, correct? In the darkness, we're able to continue doing the things that we don't want anyone to know about. In the darkness, we don't have to deal with how things really are. We love the darkness. And Jesus says that is what God's judgment is based upon, is that there are those who would say, I hate the light, not because I'm indifferent to it, but because I love the darkness. And ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us, every single one of us, until the light of Christ shined, we loved the darkness. We loved it. We moved in. We built up residency. We made friends, made lovers of the darkness. But to those who sit in darkness, a great light has shined. Um, the uniqueness of Jesus' timing to this statement comes on the heels of one of the most famous encounters Jesus has had. Um, I was walking through Barnes and Nobles a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I saw these, these books, and I was like, oh man, if that's not a sermon, I don't, understand, I don't know what is. But this was the, for the cover of the first one that I saw. The worst decisions ever. Histories biggest mistakes. Some of you are like, that's my life. Like, I would be the title of my book. I'm looking, I'm going to write this me, you know, and sitting right next to it was the greatest blunders ever. <laughs> history's, <laughs> history's dumbest mistakes. Some of you are like, that's, that's more my speed. Okay. Like everything I've done has ever, has been dumb. 
That's me. I, that's, that, that's my descriptive. Now, how many of you would love your story chronicled for the world to hear? You would? Got one. One kid over here. Kid ain't lived yet, so it, it'd probably be good. Yeah. But honestly, this is where, if all of us are like, I could be in that book. Like we could. We, could, we could all say that. The good news is the light has shined for those who have made the biggest blunders, who have made the biggest mistakes. And one of the, the story that Jesus, Jesus is sitting at the temple, he's still at the temple, and, and what we know about this story, and, and just, to be, just to be straight up with you, the earliest and best manuscripts of the New Testament Gospels don't house this story. This story shows up later in the Gospel traditions based on oral tradition. They believe that there was, it was an orally told story, and the scribes are like, this does not contradict Jesus, theology, anything about that we know about him, so they've included it. And in your Bible, it might say, this story is not included in the earliest manuscripts. So scholars are trying to give us the best ability to make an educated guess on whether or not we believe the validity of this story. I don't have any reason to doubt this story as I've looked into it. But I want to be straight up with you. And your Bible translators, they are also straight up with you. This story wasn't found in the earliest manuscripts, but we have no reason to go, I don't think this is Jesus. And it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know this story, right? It's the one where the Pharisees, who have no concern in their heart for truth, all they are concerned about is trapping Jesus. So when the woman is drugged before Jesus, he is sitting at the temple teaching the people. The Pharisees are like, oh, this is the best time right now. Let's bring her before him. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, the dude should have been drugged before them as well. Yes, he should have. But the Pharisees were not concerned about truth. They were concerned about trapping Jesus. So yes, both the man and the woman should have been brought to Jesus. But that's not what the Pharisees were out for that day. They were out to trap Jesus. And so these, this, is, this is just from the scripture. Teacher, they said to Jesus... This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus then stands up and makes the declaration I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness again. As the light of the world, Jesus revealed the broken hearts of the Pharisees. He knew every person's heart and he knew they were out to trap him and being the only righteous one who could, if he wanted to, pick up a stone and toss it, he did not. The light of the world revealed that God is quick to forgive 
but he's also quick to give a new identity. He is a merciful God who looks upon this, this woman's sin. This woman's sin, because Jesus is the light of the world, was revealed. But what was revealed on top of that was that God is merciful. And God is loving and forgiving. And he cares that she walk in the light. Because he said, neither do I condemn you. But the statement that follows is, go and sin no more. That is, follow me Live in the light. Now see, the thing is, Christ followers, we don't practice being sinless because we believe that that keeps us the light. That's not why we do what we do. But for the believer, the heart of the one who has seen the light of Christ, known that we have sat in darkness, the darkness is not as attractive anymore. The darkness is not where we want to sit. We want to stay where the light and the life of Christ is. It's not because we're afraid, oh no, if I sin, I lose the light. No, it's I have sinned, I have a light. Thank you, God, that you did what it took for me to live in light. Because apart from you, I can't do it on my own. I have nothing outside of what you have offered in Christ. Because of Jesus Man, I want to live in the light. I want to walk in the light. I want to chase the sun. You've seen the movies where everybody's like, look, if we, if, if it, if we keep moving with the light, nothing bad can happen to us. The darkness won't get us, so let's chase the light. It's the same picture. Jesus is saying, look, you follow me, you will never walk in darkness again. It doesn't mean easy peasy. It doesn't mean the path is going to be without trial and struggle. It just means that the power of sin has been cut off and praise God that the penalty of sin has been cut off. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God found in Christ. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And if that's all we have, folks, that's enough. And it's unfortunate that today, for some reason, we believe that there's something more spectacular than the love of God found in Christ. And that's in the church. Friends, 2017 was a hard year. But 2018 is built upon the same promises as the beginning of the foundations of the world. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He did it. It brought him great joy to bring those who were living in darkness into the light. Colossians chapter 1 says this, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. John the Apostle John, who, who was known as the one whom Jesus loved, in his letter to the church in, in 1 John, he says things this way. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. And now we declare it to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God 
but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. When the light of Christ reveals our sin, our problem is not coming close. You and I run into a problem when we reject the idea that we have any need for the light. See, when light shines on those who know they need it, you come to the light like this, right? Like you move out of the light. For those who say they don't have need for the light, they're like this, right? And they run away. But for those who know they need the light, we come closely like this. The problem is not coming close. All of us have lived in darkness. The problem is when we say we have no need for the light. Because then it's in that statement, we say, God, you're a liar. The beauty is that God was not afraid of the darkness because there is no darkness in him. When he comes close, he lights the place up. And to all who have been sitting in darkness, they will never sit in darkness again. As we close this morning, and we, we conclude in worship, Jesus made it really clear the condition to what it means to walk in the light. Just read verse 12 again. He said, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me. Friends, the, the scripture doesn't say, just read about him. The scripture does not invite us to just pray to him. The scripture does not just invite us to pray a prayer about him. The scripture does not invite us to just say a good thing, attend a church service, put some money in a plate, do the church duty, walk out Monday through Saturday, whatever. The scripture says you and I are invited to follow Jesus. And when we say follow Jesus, this is what we mean. We mean, Jesus, your word is final. As simply as I can put it, it means me saying, I believe that you are who you say you are. And because you are who you say you are, the light of the world, then your word is final. Not mine, not my opinion, not Facebook's, not popular culture. None of those things matter in the end. It's your word that is going to last forever. So I'm going to look at your word and see what it says about who I am and about who you are. The invitation from Jesus himself is to follow him and never walk in darkness again. And just as a plant leans toward the light, those of us who call ourselves children of God lean towards the things of God. And you know why we lean towards the things of God? You know why we lean towards worship and gathering and giving and serving and, and meeting with other Christ followers and singing loud songs of praise? You know why we lean towards those things? Because we don't want things to stay hidden. 
We don't want to be in the darkness. We don't want to hide. We don't want to stay hidden. We don't want the sin that has so easily entangled and ensnared us to have rule and reign in our life. So we lean towards the things of God. A Christ follower doesn't do these things because we think somehow it sets us up better than anyone else. We know what we're capable of in the darkness. And because we've seen the great light, we're like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want that stuff to rule and reign over me. I want the light of Christ to shine on me and through me because a result of the light of Christ is reflecting him to a world who is also sitting in darkness. To those sitting in darkness, a great light has been revealed. So this morning, as we head into 2018 and you're consumed with New Year's resolutions, the question that matters most is, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him? I'm so tired of us wanting to answer every other question, but the one that matters most Yeah, we've got a lot of questions for God. We've got a lot of questions about Jesus. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions, but he's got a question for us. Will you follow me? And if we slow down just for a minute and say yes to that, I guarantee you it is in that light we will begin to see every other question answered. And until I get to the place in my life where I recognize I have been sitting in darkness and I am ready to chase after the sun, because I'm done. I'm done with the darkness. The good news is, that's who Jesus came for. He came for those who would say, I've been sitting in darkness, and I can't, I can't do it anymore. So this morning, I want to invite you. I want to invite everybody here, and I don't do this very often, but I'd love for you guys to just close your eyes. And let's pray together. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's not one that I believe saves a soul, but I believe it begins to open a heart and a brain and eyes to the goodness of God. And if you're sitting in this room and you've said, I have been sitting in darkness. And for those of you that maybe you're not, would you just start praying for those that are? Just start praying for them right now. But if you've been sitting in darkness... Maybe say something in your head and in your heart, or you can say it out loud. I don't care. You can say it as loud as you want. You can say, I have been sitting in darkness, and I've loved the darkness. Just tell him that. The scriptures say if we confess that, he is faithful to forgive us our sin. And then maybe confess your unbelief. Maybe just say, I haven't believed you, Jesus. I haven't believed that you are who you say you are. I confess that right now. And maybe making the declaration that Jesus, you're the Savior. You're the one who came to pull me out of darkness. And maybe confess, hey, I'm really glad that you don't want me to walk in darkness. And maybe just make the confession, even though you know tomorrow you'll pick your life back up. Just say, my life is yours. Even though you know, and he probably knows too, that tomorrow 
or maybe even the next 30 minutes, you'll try and pick your life back up and do things your way. But just remember that he's faithful and just to forgive us all our unrighteousness. And now I want you to look at me. If you don't know how to follow Jesus, I'd love it if you asked the person that brought you today or you came with, how do I do this? That's why we're the body of Christ. That's why we're in small groups together. Because it's a bunch of people who have sat in darkness saying, how do I follow Jesus and stay in the light? How do I do this? That's a good question. And it's one that we get to ask together as the body of Christ. We're about to enter into a time of communion together. And it's for those people who have said, I have sat in darkness, but I have seen the great light. I have seen Christ. I've seen him crucified. I've seen him risen. And he is mine and I am his. And so as you go to the corner of the rooms, it's not this act of this is going to save me, but it is a reminder that, man, I sat in darkness and Christ came close. That's the gospel. You're not too dark. You're not too far away because Jesus is the one who made all the steps. Jesus came close. So when you take this bread and you take this juice, you dip the bread in the juice, you take it in, you're being reminded that God is a rescuing God and that as you are fumbling through the darkness, a great light has shined on us. Go and take that meal and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Father, we love you. And as we go to this tables this morning, we do it every week. Please don't let it become rote. Don't let it become routine. God, but may it be a time of celebration as we look around a room, as others are taking this meal, as the same time we are, people who are confessing that we have sat in darkness and you didn't want us to stay there. May we hear the voice of our Savior, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In Jesus' name.